Welcome back to Pakord. This episode is about drug addiction. We start this episode with Ahmed from Islamabad, who will tell us a personal story about his uncle who battled drug addiction. And Ahmed has been on this podcast before on the I Generation episode. So this story is a little over five minutes long, but definitely an important story for setting the stage for a broader conversation. And then after Ahmed, I'll shift the conversation to our two main guests, Nasser Devlani from Karachi and Abdullah from Islamabad. Abdullah will help explain the process of addiction while Nasser focuses more on giving insight on a 12-step program to recover from drug addiction. And of course, Ahmed, Abdullah and Nasser, all three of them living in Pakistan, they add a lot of context around the scope and issues of drug addiction specifically within Pakistan itself. So this is a very important discussion for this podcast. So let's go ahead and start with Ahmed. Ahmed starts right off talking about his uncle's life. And I won't spoil too much. I'll go ahead and let Ahmed take off with it. अफगानिस्तान से आ रही थी अफगानिस्तान में तब हमने बॉर्डर खोला था रेफ्यूजीज के लिए तब ड्रग्स आए थे तो तब एकदम ही लाइक ड्रग एडिक्शन के एपिसोड बढ़ते गए पाकिस्तान में यस हम और उसके बाद क्या हुआ फिर उन्होंने ट्राई की पहली बार एंड ही गॉट हुक्ड ऑन इट जी पहली दफा उन्हें बस अच्छी लगी तो वो दोबारा काफी देर तक ट्राई नहीं की फिर उनके जो दोस्त थे वो उसके साथ ही दे गॉट अटैक्टेड टू इट उनके दोस्तों ने फिर दोबारा अटैक बना बार बार करवा के अटैक बना दिया उन्होंने छोड़ी और कश्मीर आई गेस तो काफी देर उधर ही रहे फिर वापस आए तो फिर उनके दोस्तों ने दोबारा लगवा दी तो छोड़ने में कोई उनको मतलब मुश्किल तो हुई होगी लेकिन छोड़ने में एक दम ही उन्होंने छोड़ दी के आहिस्ता आहिस्ता करके उन्होंने छोड़ी जो कश्मीर गए थे तब एकदम अजीब सा उनका कितनी देर कश्मीर में थे वो श्योर फ्यू मंथ उतार लेके मुझे अच्छा खैर तो वो हॉस्पिटलाइज हो गए इस दफा जब दोबारा एडिक्ट हुए थे तो खैर तकरीबन छोड़ दी फिर वापस आए अब जो उनका ओरिजिनल जो पुराने दोस्त थे ना जो शुरू से उन्हें वापस लाते थे उनकी डेथ होगी ओवरडोज की वजह से तो ये मामू में उनके दोस्त की जी तो मेरे मामू उस बात की वजह से थोड़ा से यानी से पीछे हट गए काम से थोड़े टाइम के लिए हम अच्छा दोस्त की डेथ को देख के फिर छोड़ दिया छोड़ने की कोशिश की एटलीस्ट यस कोशिश की वैसे फिर दोबारा वापस आ गए तो बस यूं ही होता रहा बीच में थोड़ा थोड़ा छोड़ते थे फिर वापस आ जाते थे इवेंचुअली फिर वो उधार वाली जो बात ही वो ये हुआ कि इतना ज्यादा हो गया कि उनके अबू ने लोगों के उधार वापस करने के लिए अपना घर भेज अपना घर क्या बेच दिया 
actually really important for Ahmed and after telling the story to me he actually seemed to show some regret at not displaying enough emotion while telling it and he actually mentions that right here when it is serious that he like like emotion bhi nahi dali kya maine koi emotion bhi nahi dali is story mein bas seedhi seedhi bata di hai aha matlab i assumed that you're not very close to him coffee close hai close hai kafi काफी था जब ये शुरू में होता था मैं काफी रोता होता था चलिए साहब को बता दो ओह अच्छा वाकई चलो दैट मेक्स सेंस सो यू वर प्रेडी क्लोज टू हिम दिस शुड मेक काफी असर हुआ काफी रोता था जब वो का वो जनाजा था उस दिन हम तकरीबन फजर से पहले आए थे उनके घर और उधर ही हमने सैरी की गांगला रोजा रखा उस रोजे में उस दिन बारिश होगी थी हम काफी अच्छा मौसम था At this point I went ahead and spoke to Nasir Devlani and Abdullah for a separate conversation on drug addiction. So here's a short introduction of Nasir. My name is Nasir Devlani. I am from Karachi, Pakistan. I'm 26 years old. Basically I am a software engineer and apart from that I also do a lot of stuff in my community. Uh, recently i have started doing a lot of public speaking sessions on uh, several topics like career counseling and social media and cyberbullying i also do some uh, teaching on web development courses so you're pretty busy huh yeah i'm busy all the time and here's also a quick introduction of abdul as well uh well hello guys my name is abdul and i am 18 years old i live in islamabad and i am a student basically I go to college. So Nasir actually kicks off with a story of his own 
regarding a family in Karachi in which the parents were also going through drug addiction. I won't give anything away. I'll let Nasser talk about this here. I don't know if I mentioned earlier or not. I do a lot of community services. And mm-hmm. we, have, uh, we have actually an institute for these social services. About four years ago, I uh, went with them uh, to this uh, facility. So mm-hmm. basically what was happening there, uh, why we went there was uh, they had identified a family. Uh, it was a, a mother, father, and they had about two sons. Uh, both the sons were like less than eight years old or so. And the thing with them was that uh, their family was just so deeply interrupted by the drug addiction of their parents. Both of them? Yeah, they, they, would, uh, they would sell and mm-hmm. they would consume as well. Oh no, okay. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I was even told that uh, they lived in such a poor part of the city that mm-hmm. uh, their children were even sexually abused. You know, no, nobody could protect them. Uh, there was no even, uh, not even a verification for like who did it and when did it happen and all. It was just known that something like that happened. Mm-hmm. Can you just imagine like uh, such young kids and something like that happens to them and, you know, the parents, they're not doing anything and, yeah. you know, they're not even concerned to get out yeah. of their addiction for that. Well, what exactly were they addicted on? Was it multiple substances? I think it was heroin. Mm. I don't exactly remember. I mean, it was four years ago. Mm -hmm. So basically, the group had uh, identified this family and they had uh, kept both the husband and wife at different facilities for rehabilitation. And they had uh, asked their uh, the the children's uncle to keep the children until uh, they they were like healthy enough to take care of them. So. Basically that day, uh, it was a Sunday, we, we were going to visit both of them, uh, the husband and the wife, and we would give them a chance to speak, speak with each other on the phone. Right. So we, we first went to the husband at this facility. Um, when we got there, he came out and we talked to him. I could see that the guy was still uh, very agitated and his legs were shaking the entire time. Uh, he was still new to the uh, withdrawal symptoms period and you know uh, he was just so reluctant to be there Um, the extent to they were addicted they could not even focus on anything else and at that point i I can imagine if it comes to a point that you stop caring about your kids then all you can think about is the drug it gets frustrating for those that are dealing with you but at the same time i'm sure it's basically a person with a mind that's not fully working mind that's not fully functional so it's hard to even blame them at that point. It's just more like, you got to get this person out of this. It's a pattern. Otherwise, uh, right now, they're just basically a statue. Yeah, um, that, that's the whole point that we were there. I mean, the guy, uh, although he looked very reluctant, but I believe that he wanted to do the program. You know, he, he wanted to get better and all that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just such a powerful substance that it, it changes you like 360 yeah. degrees. So we were there, we convinced him uh, to stay there and uh, do the process and, you know, le- learn how to control himself uh, with this addiction. Mm-hmm. And all he was concerned about was, uh, you know, how is his wife and how are the children and what are they doing? And he wanted to talk to them. Okay. It's, already, it's only natural, right? When you are separated from your family and, you know, you are in a healthy mind. Mm-hmm. So we convinced him to stay there. We, we told him that we were, uh, we were going to the facility where his wife was at and we're going to uh, have them a chance to talk to each other over the phone. Mm-hmm. We, st- we stayed there for like uh, about half hour. So when we were done with that, we, uh, we left from there and we went to the other rehab facility where the wife was at. And when she came, you know, uh, I, I looked at her face and it looked like she was so innocent. Mm. You know, you can... Uh, this was after how long? How long had she been in the rehab? I think it must have been 10 to 15 days. Oh, okay. Wow. So in that much time, there was a little bit of difference. Yeah. 
So, you know, I could see her and what I was thinking was uh, like someone so innocent could be uh, involved in such a thing. And that's the reality of this addiction. This happening all the time. Yeah. If, you know, it's mostly the innocent people that uh, get engulfed in this addiction. Right. So, yeah, that, that starts a curious question. You know, one of the debates here, so one of them is basically uh, drug addiction is a big problem uh, among celebrities, especially, right? So there's a whole yeah. question about whether you should consider addiction a choice or if addiction is basically, you know, uh, some really unfortunate incident that happens to somebody. So basically, is a person responsible for their addiction or are they not responsible? Well, I would say that at first it is a choice when you get into it. You know, there's a, a period of use, uh, like when you're using the first few times, you can still quit. Yeah. And that's still a choice for you. And when you've uh, gone past that period, then, then it becomes uh, this accident for you. Mm. And that's how people often portray it as well. But I believe that, uh, that it is still a choice at that time as well, uh, as much as we would just ignore that point of view. Well, I believe that uh, addiction is due to social issues and social environment around you, the people around you, they influence you a lot. And that's why you end up in addiction. But yeah, at first, it's your own choice that you uh, went to that company and you didn't put yourself back out from that company because you felt kind of cool over there. Right. Um, you know, I have another story to share here, actually. Uh, I know, Nasser, you have to finish your story up. But I thought this one would be appropriate at this spot. So my older brother, my oldest brother, he smokes, right? And he's been addicted to smoking since the age of 12. He started smoking. And what happened was around that time when he started, he got caught. And this was back when they were living in Lahore, my family. He got caught in the bazaar by my uncle. My uncle saw him smoking. And uh, basically when he came home, he got beat up <laughs> by, uh, by, by my mom. And then my uncle yelled at him a lot. And in typical Punjabi, you know, like, <laughs> And my uncle smoked too, by the way. But because he was only 12 years old, my brother, that was an extra problem. And my uncle tried to explain to him, no, that this is people, only people who are depressed or have issues or adults, basically, you know, who have problems are allowed to smoke. You can't smoke right now. And then my brother was also stubborn. And he said, he says, ever since that day, I made a promise that I'm never going to quit smoking. And I, <laughs> I always find that a bit comical. I'm like, I try to tell my brother, man, that doesn't, like you, you chose to harm yourself even more because you're, you know, you got yelled at at the age of 12 for doing something that was wrong. It doesn't really make sense to me. My brother stuck by that. He's, uh, you know, 20, 20 years later, 20 plus actually um, years later, he still smokes. Uh, yeah, he still smokes. The whole premise of that, you know, the whole beginning of that. I always, I find it a little comical. I find it also a little sad as well. We talk about different parenting strategies. But really, you know, my uncle might have approached that a little differently. Maybe my mom didn't have to beat him up. And at the same time, I think it, the personalities of the kids are also a factor of this, uh, of how things turn out. So if a kid is stubborn, you know, you can try to explain to him kindly or uh, aggressively and he still won't listen. If a kid is uh, if they're a little bit more lenient, they can both both strategies can work on them. Some kids get beat up by their parents, and this you know they turn out completely fine. They turn out to be responsible, uh, still very appreciative of their parents, and they love their parents. And other kids who never got beat up by their parents, they they start hating their parents. And so, not saying there's a one one formula that works better than the other. I find it so strange that there's no real equation to this. There's no way to figure out what works better. Yeah, according to a psychology that if you have siblings, uh, you are, it's, it's a more chance that your brother or sister might be rebellious. But if you're a single boy, then there's a chance of leniency that you might be very obedient to your parents. Ah, I actually, I can see that happening. Yeah, it's a good uh, insight. Maybe because with siblings, there's especially, there's competition. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that's a little tidbit about my, <laughs> my brother. How can somebody, you know, make a commitment that I'm going to harm myself? And you are basically harming yourself, right? You're, there's a statistic that you're shortening your life by X minutes, you know, every time you take a smoke. Yeah. 
you actively make that commitment just because you got you know yelled at at the age of 12 it's it's amazing what makes people take up those types of decisions and uh, i think that's just another i guess two cents to throw into that debate of is it your responsibility or is it not are you is uh, addiction a choice or is it not a choice and so go on now sir you i think you had to finish up your story yeah so i, I was saying that she looked very uh, innocent and all that and you know, we talked to her for a bit and she had the same concerns that she wanted to get with her family. Uh, she was concerned about how her kids were and all of those things. And then uh, then this lady in, in our group, she, she said that she'll uh, make the call and let her talk to her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, she made the call. Um, she asked for him and she told him that his, uh, wife, his wife is going to speak with him. So... The wife, as she uh, took the phone and uh, she just uh, stick it up to her ears, um, you could just see the change of expression. And, you know, um, mm. you don't get to see that very often. It was like that uh, she was just filled with so much color and light. You know, uh, it was a very powerful experience for me uh, seeing all that, like this family, which was separated by addiction. And now they are trying to... Uh, uh, do something about that, and they're trying to get back on their. You described they came from a stage where they didn't even care what was happening to their kids. You said their yeah. kids were sexually assaulted as well, and yeah. they went. The parents went from there to actually returning to humanity a little bit after that program. Yeah, but you know uh, that that was just one day when uh, I was uh, actually involved with this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Some months later. Uh, I speak to her. Uh, I spoke to that lady from my group, and she mentioned, um, unfortunately, that uh, those two had gotten out and they have relapsed uh, since. Parents? Yeah. What? So you know, even though uh, you kicked it all, you did the process and everything, but you know, this is where the environment comes in, like how. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you coping up with the situations that is around you? How is your support system? Uh, are you having enough emotional uh, response to each other's uh, situations? Uh, like, like, are you even talking to each other about the problems that you are having? Because uh, that's what a, a proper support system is like. You, you talk to you, your family and your friends about what's going on with you. And you know, uh, it helps with the urges. Well, at, at what point? Uh, at what point do you think? What exactly might have gone wrong that caused those two to relapse? I wonder. At what point uh, is touching that same touchy subject a little bit? At what point were they responsible for their own well-being, and the rehab center was no longer responsible for that? Versus maybe they needed longer care, or maybe something else was missing. What do you think went wrong? Um, I think it all comes down to your motivation and, you know, your sense of commitment to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But but I believe that's not the only thing. Uh, you also need a support system. Uh, if I talk about them, uh, they were living in a poor area. Uh, yeah. They were finding a job because, you know, it's difficult for to find a job for a drug addict. Um, yeah. you, you don't have experience of things and you don't know the ways to do things and you know it gets difficult often plus uh, when you don't have a job you don't have money um, nobody's going to support you for your entire life yeah the children even uh, they were having trouble getting admission to school because they didn't have the birth certificates and all that so you know yeah. I, I think that was the contributing that that must have been the contributing factor uh, to the whole thing but I don't know exactly what went wrong uh, I didn't get a chance to ask. Mm-hmm. But I think having a support system uh, is very, very important to such situations. Okay, in this next part, Abdullah starts the conversation and takes over by discussing what got him interested in researching addiction. And also, he shares some findings from his research. So here's Abdullah. So basically, uh, back in 2017, I just graduated from the middle school, I guess. So I was basically free for two, three months. At that time, uh, parents were usually not home, so I was home alone all the time. So 
I was a very uh, coffee and tea addicted person. Mm. So during that one week, I didn't have my coffee. So I was kind of shocked by the result that I was usually getting some headaches and change in behavior, mood swings, basically. And most people just get it when they don't have this tea and coffee for a long time. So after that, I just thought about that. Why did it happen? So after some two months later, I just found out that it was due to some withdrawal symptom, which is, again, the starting of my drug addiction research. And from there, I just started my research. And from that, uh, I just found out that it is a very good mechanism that how these work, this addiction works. Your journey here started from caffeine. Yeah, from caffeine. That's a very overlooked drug, right? Not many people think of it as a drug. Yeah, now... Uh, I think uh, most of Pakistan is addicted. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think back in 2015, it was uh, entered into psychoactive drugs list, which is, you know, controlled drugs. Mm. Yeah, yeah, withdrawal symptoms are real. You're right. I think a lot of people are aware of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my mom, every now and then, she'll say, you know, Chinese are my dardoria. No. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. But they don't realize that uh, that's usually a problem. Uh, that's a very big problem. Yeah, I've been trying to give up caffeine for a while, and right now it's been about a month. It's a month. Wow, that's it's good. That's good. Yeah, right. It's very difficult though when you're used to it, you know. You know, um, while we're on the subject of caffeine, I would like to say something. Basically, uh, I started having coffee like about I think three months ago, mm -hmm. and. Generally, start and it started off with uh, with a coffee in morning, and I remember I was uh, once I was making coffee in my office, and one of my superiors, they, he just walked there, and uh, we just talked about it, and he said that uh, he doesn't uh, have any kind of uh, addictions like uh, you know people need chai or people need coffee and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I asked him why that was because, you know, it's very common. Everybody uh, has uh, one of the caffeine addictions. Mm -hmm. So he said, uh, whenever he gets a habit of something like that, he always uh, tries to change it up and, mm -hmm. and get out of that habit. And, you know, uh, uh, my response to that was, yeah, I just uh, have it for a boost of energy in the morning. Mm. And what he told me was, uh, that's where I've started off. But eventually, uh, you know, people start feeling like they need more of that because, you know, you get adapted mm -hmm. to it all. Mm -hmm. And three months later now, uh, I realized that it's very often that I'm having it, having coffee in the morning and in the afternoon as well. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. um, that's addiction for you. Absolutely. I don't know that much about addiction. Like in, uh, I've started learning a little bit more about it in recent years. And uh, that's one of the things I think that's one of the core attributes of addiction which is you increase your tolerance for that substance. And, uh, you know, Abdullah started this, I think it was a great point, actually. Okay, you know, in, in the case of caffeine, people start from a cup of chai here and there, becomes a cup, a cup every day. Then chai is not enough. You start trying, uh, you know, coffee. Coffee is a big thing. Then one cup of coffee, two cups of coffee. And then eventually, that's a routine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started getting anxiety and jittery uh, after drinking too much caffeine. My body couldn't handle it much. So that's when I realized, personally, uh, man, I need to let this go. You know, kind of how Nasser mentioned that if you need it for that boost of energy every morning, that's a dependency that you probably don't need in your life. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so basically in Coke, there's also uh, a good amount of caffeine in there. That, that is why it's also addictive, like Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah, that adds up as well. Chocolate has caffeine. Yeah, in many things uh, right now in supermarket, if you just go out and see, there's many caffeine and things. So mm -hmm. it's an industrial drug, basically, used to attract customers back and back. Yeah, um, from what I've come to heard, uh, caffeine is actually, um, you know, healthy for us. Uh, we, we need a small amount of caffeine every day, but mm -hmm. you know, no, nobody really cares about the small amount. Uh, we are just more focused <laughs> on um, have completing our habits every day. Mm -hmm. So we let go of that and we just surpass the small amount limit. Yeah, I'm actually really fascinated by Asian, East Asian cultures. And uh, one of the things that at least Western articles write about is they drink a lot of green tea. That kind of makes sense. Green tea has the least amount of caffeine than black tea and uh, then coffee. So that would make sense. 
they can, uh, you know, for us, green tea is like a leisure drink. I think in, in our culture, we drink it at night, actually, before going to sleep. We don't even consider it, a, a, you know, a strong enough drink to uh, warrant as a boost of energy. Yeah, uh, but in KPK, uh, green tea is quite common. Mm. KPK, yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely heard Peshawari Chai is really famous. You know, we actually yeah, uh, have green tea served in our office every day in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I believe uh, it's quite common with uh, with the software engineers and uh, all the software houses. They have green tea every day. And you, you know, the thing about it is you're not supposed to add any sugar to it. And most people uh, just add sugar to it. So it becomes a beverage for them. Mm -hmm. uh, while it's not supposed to be that. Yeah, while we're on the topic, my mom uh, tells me, actually, my mom, um, you know, growing up in Pakistan as a kid, she said she would actually often see these uh, British guys. This was, I guess, shortly after uh, independence. Every house they would go and knock on their doors and give them tea bags for free. And they would just tell them the benefits of tea, you know. This gives you energy, you know, helps you stay awake. So you don't get tired and uh, it's good for you and you can drink it with milk or without milk or with sugar or without sugar so <laughs> i think that was the the start of the uh, addiction so that that was like a campaign and agenda yeah uh, spread addiction <laughs> and it worked <laughs> yeah so abdullah keep going is there more to your story so basically whenever we take a drug which is basically psychoactive drug and they are known as psychoactive drugs because they activate our psychology more and alter our psychology, normal uh, natural psychology, basically. So whenever we take that drug, uh, it triggers hormones and which releases neurotransmitters. And these neurotransmitters are responsible for our swing in mood and whatever the pleasure we get from that. And some of the common, uh, common neurotransmitters are uh, dopamine, serotonin, and endorphin. And serotonin, uh, serotonin is also uh, dubbed as a love hormone. Basically, when it, uh, serotonin is released, we feel the emotion of love uh, very often, and it's a very relieving hormone. And so is the case with endorphin, but it is mostly painkiller. So some, like the tea and coffee or caffeine in general, it triggers uh, serotonin, which is love hormone. So every time we drink, uh, tea, we usually get this effect of relievedness and calmness inside us. And whenever we have something like um, when we listen to music in general, that makes us very happy. Uh, mm -hmm. they, it triggers dopamine and dopamine is like excitatory thing, which is like very good for us. And it repeats the activity, uh, which makes us feel good. So what happens? Does your body stop making serotonin because it's relying on the caffeine to kind of uh, reinforce that? Is that how it works? Yeah, most often we have uh, this natural transmitter uh, trigger, which is known as this acetylcholine. Uh, so serotonin just mimic this acetylcholine, which is the natural trigger, but serotonin and caffeine uh, mimic these original uh, natural body triggers. And that's why we, when we take it more often, we just being dependent to it because our brain work on a limbic system, which is known as reward system. So whenever we feel happy or feel calm in any situation, we tend to do it more often. Got it. And that's what actually starts the habit. Yeah, because uh, at that time, whenever we are taking psychoactive drugs, uh, the part of brain which is responsible for uh, memory forma uh, formation and it remembers it quite good. So whenever you will try to take that drug again, it will trigger your back memory and you will like kind of have feeling that, wow, when the last time I took it, I felt this thing and then you will do it again and so again right. and again and that's the beginning of addiction. Mm. So basically uh, in smoking, there's nicotine and nicotine also mimic this acetylcholine which triggers dopamine and and it's also form a memory of a very charmness. And so whenever you again take it, so you will just addict it to nicotine. But all these, like uh, our psychology work in this principle, like whenever we take it, our memory is formed. And whenever we used, we are going to retake it, our memory just triggers that back, 
gives us a flashback of that wonderful feeling. So that's why we tend to do it again and again. So basically, the, uh, the theory which uh, stands on addiction is basically from Bruce Alexander, who was a psychologist. So have you heard about rat cage experiment? No, maybe I need a refresher. Yeah, so basically the rat cage experiment was uh, there was a rat in a cage and he was given two bottles. Uh, one was normal water and one was a cocaine uh, mixed water. So what happened, first of all, he uh, went and just drank the normal water. But when he drank the cocaine water, he just became addicted to it and he just overdosed the cocaine water and died. So yeah. for the control experiment, he used, uh, he built a giant rat park in where there was some toys and balls for rats and some other rats to socialize. And there he also put the cocaine water and normal water. But uh, the results were quite shocking because they, the rats never, and like 95% of rats never just tasted the cocaine water and they just went to the normal water. And those five who just tasted the cocaine water never ever tasted it back because of the social effect. So he concluded that that psychology about drug addiction is not about the substance. It is basically about uh, social aspects that how happy you are around your surrounding or how lonely you are and other type of situation, but not the substance actually. Yeah, you know, um, I know this from personal experience as well as uh, experience of some people who have shared it with me. You see, the thing is uh, you have you're having a ba bad day, right? Um, you're having a bad day and even then you are trying to keep yourself busy and all that. Uh, but the moment that uh, the busy time uh, ends and you are bored and you're free, uh, you, you need that, uh, that addiction that you have been uh, addicted to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's uh, very common. Uh, that's how addiction triggers into everyone. What always makes me curious is what makes them try it for the first time? And a lot of people, they don't get addicted on the first time. Um, like I have tried a few cigarettes in the past, you know, but it, thankfully it never brought me back the way it brought my brothers back or many people that I know. What's interesting is why do even people expose themselves? You know, most people, uh, most people are often just uh, there for the trying. They want to try out. Mm. And I, I, I've been there. I've wanted to try a cigarette, but uh, I, I've just never uh, because, you know, because of the thought that I might just get addicted. That's why I have never tried a cigarette. And I, I think that's the thing with uh, most of them. Other times there are like, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're not feeling well and you want, uh, you want an edge, you want mm -hmm. to get out of problems. And uh, that, that's also when people try out these kinds of things. Like uh, if you know that having some alcohol will, you know, reduce the effects of your problems on you, yeah. uh, wouldn't you want to try that? So I, I guess that's how it works. So this uh, ice culture was, which is basically meth, crystal meth in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this, uh, this, um, uh, which is known as ice in Pakistan. So it is very famous in uh, KPK side. So there's university students. Uh, they were quite post about them that they are uh, overdosing this uh, crystal ice or meth, mm -hmm. and it's accessible easily. I think due to Afghanistan border, it's. Uh, accessible due to NATO forces because they think, I think they are, they are provided these uh, type of opiates there to remain calm. Mm. Wow. Uh, because in, uh, back in Vietnam war, which Vietnam war, do you remember that when America invaded Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so basically they were given morphine at that time and that is basically more addictive than heroin. So back in America, people were very scared that when they will come back there, they will be very, much influence on them because of the morphine. But when they came back, they never touched morphine because of the social impact over there. Because at war, you can see there's always night and mud everywhere, just fighting, just roaring. So they were given morphines at the war, uh, <clears throat> soldiers over there. So when they reached back home in America where they had their families and stuff, so they were quite good with that without it. And they never had taken it back. I thought morphine was more used for recovery, like wound recovery. Yeah, yeah. Morphine got shot. Is, uh, uh, basically used as surgical and surgeries and pain killing stuff, but it is also used uh, in war. Like people, you can use as a addictive drug. Okay. 
So in their case, they came back and they did not crave morphine. Yeah, because they find out uh, they went back to their families, their homes, and all their motherland. So that's why they never went back there. You know, um, the people uh, who are addicted to drugs, uh, when they go for detoxification, they're actually required to uh, take a very small amount of the drug um, mm-hmm. so that, you know, they can get off it because, you know, the withdrawal symptoms, they're uh, just, uh, just so severe for them. Mm-hmm. So, Great point. Caffeine withdrawal, I don't think you can die from it. Like, you can actually give up caffeine cold yeah. turkey. You'll have yeah, really yeah. bad headaches, but uh, you'll recover. But it's true, apparently, if, you, if you're addicted to cocaine, for example, and you just give it up, uh, like, you're going to be in a lot of pain. Actually, even like uh, prescription drugs over here in the U.S., there's some prescription yeah. drugs, especially for anxiety and depression, which are uh, habit-forming, basically. So, so that means that if you're ready to quit, your doctor will tell you to uh, div- uh, divide the dose in half and take that for a while, then divide that to a quarter, and then take that for a while, and then eventually you taper it off to a point that you're not taking it anymore. But if you give it up you know, entirely, completely, all of a sudden, you're going to get some really bad side effects and, you know, potentially life-threatening as well. Yeah. Yeah. So during withdrawal, they are also given some extra dose of uh, medicine, but there's a chance that they must, uh, they can be addictive due to that uh, other drugs. Yeah. You know, uh, the thing about the addicts is that, um, you know, uh, you're taking one substance and you're addicted to that, but you have to refrain from taking a, a other addictive substances as well, you know, because because a lot of people just, you know, uh, change their substance. And, you know, they get from uh, cocaine to heroin and uh, to opi- opium and all those things. Yeah, there's a concept of a gateway drug, right, which is different, I think, yeah. for culture. There's one drug that will get you exposed to the entire world of uh, drugs. <laughs> you, you start from one, you start taking more and more. Is this a widespread problem around your communities, Islamabad, Karachi? Yeah, in Islamabad, uh, in Punjab, basically, there's um, there's wild use of cocaine and uh, tobacco is just normal over here. And um, crystal ice, which I was very shocked that meth is over here and it is introduced over here. And very young generation is using it. And in KPK, that's a lot of them using it. Where is it coming from? Where you mentioned uh, crystal, what about the rest? What about the? Uh, well, they are manufactured in Pakistan. So they're actually grown in Pakistan. Yeah, they are grown in Pakistan in Peshawar, like tobacco. There's many factories in tobacco in Nushara. There are factories over there, and similarly, cocaine is also uh, produced within Pakistan, and uh, most of other drugs are also. Well, tobacco is legal, right? What is a? By the way, uh, yeah, do we know about the? legal status of these drugs uh, imran khan when he uh, came to power he just imposed a sin tax over tobacco so if you purchase tobacco you have to pay some extra tax because it's mm-hmm. not legal in islam but that's why no me- meaning it is legal but there's an extra tax yeah there's a sin tax over it so if you purchase it you have to uh, give some extra tax over there Got it. but you know the tax uh, doesn't keep people away from that because uh, you know at addicts they want what they want yeah like, yeah exactly yeah. start wasting even more money <laughs> yeah exactly uh, open cigarettes were a sale over there but uh, now they have just closed that and you have to buy a whole pack of cigarettes but still everyone buys the whole pack now <laughs> yeah that's a unfortunate it's a, like nasir pointed out it's actually a burden to that person's family because now they're wasting even more money which could be used on groceries or other household things. and Yeah. Um, uh, smoking is quite, uh, quite popular over here because of a stereotype that uh, among youth, basically, that if you smoke cigarette, you will be considered a cool person. So that might be, uh, they always start with cigarettes and end up in a destruction, basically. Yeah, that, that's the thing in Karaji as well. Yeah, I think that's the thing in whole Pakistan, <laughs> that if you smoke cigarette and you go inside a washroom and you vape and you just put in on your story, it will be considered a cool thing. <laughs> yeah, this is probably a worldwide thing, actually, right? Just kids growing up in general, they want to be, they want to try something edgy, something different that uh, they're yeah, probably not allowed to do. So around. over here, once people actually become adults, there's a, there's a lot of health consciousness now, nowadays. 
Uh, people just want to be healthy, so they're giving up a lot of stuff. Uh, fitness is a big thing now. People give up tobacco. It's not as big as it used to be, at least. Like what Nasser mentioned, the taxes haven't really helped that much. It's more just a overall health consciousness in the country. Yeah, so tobacco isn't quite popular over there, I guess. The cannabis, they use more of the cannabis and other stuff. Oh, yeah. Cannabis, yeah. That's a whole different... That's the funny part. They don't consider tobacco that bad, but uh, marijuana, okay, yeah, that's fine. There's a big push <laughs> to legalize marijuana. Yeah, I think it's legalized in many states right now. In California, it was legalized. Yeah, it started with just two states and now, yeah, it's all over. What about uh, Pakistan besides tobacco? What is the legal status of... I'm pretty sure cocaine is illegal, but what about uh, cannabis? Well, every drug over here is controlled drug and everything is uh, illegalized except for tobacco. Uh, shisha and is even illegalized over here. Really? When people do shisha yeah. like on the street? By shisha, you mean hookah, right? No, shisha is a different type of hookah. Basically, it's more of a vaporizer stuff. They have flavors in it. And uh, they don't have, I think, tobacco. There's no tobacco in it. So shisha is kind of like hookah, but it has other substances in it? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hookah is basically okay. pure tobacco. You just burn tobacco and you smoke the tobacco. And uh, shisha is something else. Uh, but here in Islamabad, it is uh, illegal. And there's also crackdowns of shisha clubs over here. But still, everyone just smokes shisha. They just bring, they have their own shishas in home. <laughs> so they don't need to go to clubs right now. Finally, in the last piece of this episode, Nasir will talk about the 12-step program, which is a methodology for overcoming addiction. The 12-step program uh, is basically a method of recovery from... Uh, it started off as a method of recovery from alcoholism. People were so inspired by how it worked and it was very effective for uh, alcoholics. So mm -hmm. they just started adopting it to all the other kinds of addictions as well. Like um, uh, there is an Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, uh, which is a 12-step program for alcoholics. And this was the very first one. And... Mm. Then there, uh, then there were more. Uh, like there is a codependence anonymous, uh, which is for people uh, who have trouble maintaining healthy relationships. Um, there is an emotions anonymous. Uh, there is there is a gamblers anonymous. Wow. There is a heroin anonymous. Uh, there is a narcotics anonymous. Um, mm. There is even a sex anonymous. So it goes beyond. Uh, wow. Okay. Okay. So it goes much beyond drug addiction. Yeah, uh, yeah, the addiction goes uh, way beyond. Like I said, uh, whenever a habit uh, gets the better of you, it becomes a it becomes an addiction. Right. And you know, these are just a few uh, that I have actually mentioned. Uh, there is uh, there is a workaholics anonymous as well. So you know, you can imagine uh, people being addicted to work, mm -hmm. and, and and that's very <laughs> common. Uh, and it's yeah. it's just socially not very acceptable. Uh, but it's very common and it's legal and people do it. And, you know, uh, people that are suffering from that, uh, they are the only ones who know uh, how it actually is. The thing about the 12-step program is that it starts with this concept. Uh, the first step in the program is that you have to admit that you are powerless over your addiction. Wow. Okay. But that's the first step that you have to admit that you're powerless to the addiction. Yeah. You have to admit that you are powerless to your addiction and that your lives had become unmanageable. You know, it's one thing that you are powerless over, over your addiction, but mm -hmm. it's also important that your lives, uh, that your lives had, had become unmanageable as well. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, uh, the concept here is uh, rock bottom. You know, you, you just go into the program and start doing things. It doesn't uh, really work well that way. Uh, mm -hmm. It happens with the rock bottom. When you hit rock, rock bottom, that's when you are more susceptible to feeling this, that you are uh, powerless over your addiction and that your lives ha uh, have become unmanageable. And that's when, you, uh, that's when you are supposed to get into the program. And, and I have heard that that's when it is more effective. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. This is, this is the first step. I'm not going to go into all the steps, but I'm just going to highlight... Uh, What's the summary of the program? One of the next few steps is about recognizing a higher power that can help you with this program. So the higher power can be uh, literally anybody. Uh, it can be God. Uh, it can be the group itself, uh, the group that you have joined. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it can even be a chair that's sitting in front of you. 
that that's the uh, openness about the higher power you just have to believe that a higher power can help you out with this uh, problem and right. that, that works so right. then uh, you get into uh, making an inventory of yourself uh, of of all the problems that you've had because of this addiction and all the people that you have hurt and you you try to make amends for all of those and you start learning to live with a new uh, new code of behavior and if you remember i mentioned earlier that when people are having a bad day they try to keep themselves busy so they don't don't fall into their addiction but when you are uh, not busy when you are bored when you are free you just have a, a deep urge for that addiction they also have this serenity prayer um, their serenity prayer is god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and wisdom to know the difference ah yes i've heard that one before yeah yeah and most people would just uh, switch god with their higher power uh, mm -hmm. you know uh, if you if you are not religious uh, you would just uh, change god with a higher power here but you know that that's the concept here that uh, you're surrendering yourself to someone um, that you feel like has uh, has the ability to help you with this problem mm. and you know uh, uh, from a muslim perspective i would say that that's all our lives right i mean right. we believe in god and we feel like uh, god can make things better for us and you know the 12th step in the program is that you have freedom from your addiction and you know you're you're sober now mm -hmm. it's your responsibility to help other people ah so pass it on this makes it uh, so self sufficient and so comprehensive here that you know a, a new person comes in and he's a he's a regular addict he has just stopped uh, doing his addiction mm -hmm. and a person who has been there for like uh, uh, two years he's going to help him so one of the reasons that it works is because of that Hope you liked this episode and thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time.